0: Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. So tell me, how's your sex life? If the answer is a hollow laugh and what sex life, then you're not unusual because it's very common for women in midlife and beyond to write themselves off as sexual beings. And there can be lots of reasons for that including loss of body confidence, fatigue, anxiety, vaginal dryness, low libido. No matter the reason, we deserve to have the sex life we want, whatever that may be, which is why I've called on the brilliant Dr Claire McCauley for some practical advice to help with that. Claire's an oncologist who treats people with breast cancer. But she's here today in her other role as a self-confessed sex science geek and founder of the rather brilliant Pleasure Possibility, a coaching programme to help people create the kind of sex life that's right for them. Kind, humorous, pragmatic and totally unshockable, Claire offers some fantastic advice to help you and your sexuality thrive in midlife and beyond. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Claire. Hi, Jackie. I'm delighted to be here. Well it's a pleasure to have you on the show and I can't wait to hear all your interesting advice because it's February and love is very much on the agenda. So before we get into all of that tell us your story. What's your background Claire and and how did it lead to where you
1: are now? Oh, it just I've I love telling my story, Jackie, because I think it kind of gives that idea of what we can do in midlife where we think we might not have ended up. So basically, I'm a breast cancer oncologist. So I'm a doctor. I treat women with breast cancer. And my initial interest in the menopause came from the fact that many of the women that I treat will be rendered menopausal by the treatment that we give them for their breast cancer.
0: Right. Of so course.
1: before I even started having my own perimenopausal experience, I was interested in the menopausal aspects of of what happens when you soak every last molecule of oestrogen out of people, which is what we do often when we're treating women who've got hormone sensitive breast cancer. So that's where my initial interest came, and then I started to have my own perimenopausal experience, and alongside all of this, I was also having my own kind of sexual awakening experiences exploration. And it became apparent to me as all these things sort of started to come together that there was quite a lot of talk about menopause and, and but actually nobody was really talking about Sexual aspects of menopause, even although there were a lot of people talking about menopause, and I started to think, okay, well, I know a lot of this stuff from part of my experience over here. What would it be like if I start to bring this over um, to talking about sex and the menopause? And then I became the woman who talks about dry vaginas on LinkedIn, and which is not where I thought my life was going. So that's what's brought (laughs) me to where I am today about somebody who talks about sex and the menopause.
0: Well, that is fascinating. So Talking about changes in life, if you went all the way back to you as a little girl, is this what you thought you'd be? Were you one of those
1: children who thought, oh, I want to be a doctor? Or were you going to be the astronaut? Yes. No, for me, I had always wanted to be a doctor from, from being about the age of six or seven. I was actually in hospital myself when I was seven. And initially, when I started my medical career, I thought I wanted to be a paediatrician. That In the fullness of time, I decided to do something differently. But yes, I had always wanted to be a doctor and recognising I think now even when I look back that it wasn't about it it was about the interest in this space between us it's about the, the therapeutics of what happens when people come together right. and that's kind of really fed the narrative of my career going forward which is often even particularly in something like oncology where you know some of my patients are, are going to die of their breast cancer many many will be cured and go on to but some will not and it's it's not really about the drugs i give them it's about the relationship between us that is what is therapeutic in many cases over and above mm. The drugs mm-hmm. that we give people so that's that's where I'm coming at it from and, and, and equally when we start to talk about sex and all the rest of it it's actually what happens when we can make spaces for people to be really vulnerable and to figure it out for themselves rather right. than coming to me, I, people don't come to me and I tell them what to do, they come to me and we figure out together what is the right thing for you, what is the sexual expression you want to have in your life, what things are holding you back because the, the decisions and things that people take and make for themselves are far more likely to stick than being told to go away and try this exercise of that exercise.
0: That's very interesting. Now, you
1: touched a few minutes ago
0: on on a very intriguing phrase of sort of own sexual awakening, and I know that you describe yourself as a as a sex science geek. So, can you tell
1: us about that? How did it come about? What are we talking about here? So for me, I I started to look at things like Tantra and conscious sexuality and spiritual sexuality and all sorts of things like that, which is maybe perhaps at one end of the woo-woo spectrum, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But what I was aware of, that even within that, there were things that people would describe in perhaps quite spiritual ways or in ways that a lot of people might think sounded a bit airy-fairy. But I knew that there were things in there that they were describing had a physiological explanation. So what I was interested in was there was one end of a spectrum where people were very not interested in the science of it at all. It was all about energy and it was about, you know, it was about spirituality and it was about communing with God and all of those kind of things. That but I knew that there were things in the, the physiological experience of those things that had an explanation. Right. And what I was really interested in was, well, what are those explanations? So these people... Consider that they are right in inverted commas in terms of that. But actually, what would it be like to, to put some scientific structure around that? What do we know that would inform some of this? So I think I'm trying to straddle two spheres, if you like, in terms of my clinical. I love science. I love knowledge. I love I love the principles of let's figure it out, you know, let's yeah. let's experiment, let's see what the outcome is. But I also love the other end of it, and w- what I was trying to do was kind of tie these two worlds together, and that can sometimes actually be quite a difficult place to be, because there's a lot mm. of scepticism from science in one direction, there's a lot of scepticism from the, perhaps the, the spirituality, ethereal community on the other way, so I'm kind of straddling two worlds that Actually, if I'm genuine, it often isn't very comfortable because they're worlds that don't really understand each other.
0: No, um, and absolutely. That's where the
1: science came from, was about how do we figure out, you know, what, what are some of the explanations that might explain some of these things? And then offering them to each community as a way of supporting people to have what we want. Because we all want the same thing at the end of the day, we just perhaps have different views about how we get there. Yeah, but that's very brave of you, because it will
0: be much easier for you to sit in one or other camp. But trying to actually get the best out of both camps and bring them together is not an easy thing. I mean, have you been open to criticism?
1: Yeah, well, oh, absolutely. Because because I think as well, it, there is also something is we have to stock what our own propensities are as well. You know, so it would be difficult, I think, for me to offer things which I, I know and I may have experienced work without being able to provide some kind of evidence base for them. So I, you know, so we all have our own propensities and things that might make things difficult for us. So there are certain things which I would not necessarily teach or offer in the way that they may have been offered to me, because I know that it would be very difficult for me to justify that in a science sense and equally I may not go down a pure hard science route yet just have HRT for example it might be one example that's the holy grail of dealing with all of this because I know that there are other things so it is sort of trying to straddle a balance and yeah absolutely open to criticism from both sides which of course leaves you particularly prone then for for you know falling between the gaps of 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 any schools but just I think what I've got and when we're talking about what comes with age is just accepting that I can only offer what I can offer through my lens and it will speak to some people and will not speak to others yes. and that's yeah. okay. Absolutely.
0: So The Pleasure Possibility, which is an absolutely fabulous title, what is it and what inspired you to set it up? So it
1: came from sitting in workshops, sitting in circle with women mainly and realising that the very first step to appreciating your sexuality, living with a sex expression was to believe that it is possible for you. That it, that is where it started, and that's where when I when when clients work with me, and when I when I work with my coaching clients, we have to believe that something is possible for us. And that, and, and in the, the purposes of what I want to talk about, I don't really want to talk about sex. Yes, that's important, but what's if we switch the idea of sex, which has very sometimes very fixed ideas in our mind, to pleasure? what would it be like to be open to the possibility of pleasure in your body, in your life, in every day, every moment? What would that be like? And that's where the title came from, is that we need to be alive to the fact that it's possible for us first before we can achieve anything. That's very
0: interesting, because I think perhaps quite a lot of women actually write themselves off as sexual
1: beings probably quite early in their lives. Absolutely. And that is also... But but often there's something underneath that. Mm. So if people genuinely wrote themselves off, they wouldn't be Googling. So there's something (laughs) about that sense of, you know, I've written myself off, but I'm still looking, I've written myself off, but oh, this is interesting over here. So people who might be listening to this podcast who've written themselves off, but they're here. So it's that idea of can you tap into that? Mm. Something is possible for you, but you have to want it first. It's not going to fall in your lap. You Mm. have to want that Mm. to be the case. And generally, if you're searching... Even if it's at a subconscious level, you do want. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah.
0: So what do you think then are the biggest challenges for women in midlife as as sexual beings? Because things can get a bit more complicated for us.
1: Yeah, I think there are a number of things that are challenging. The first is this cultural idea that it's all over. So that's Mm. the first thing. That might be a narrative that we've received, it might be things that people have told us, it might be the lack of visibility of of women as sexual beings in the media and all of those kind of stuff. So there's the cultural conditioning piece um, which is important. The second Issue is the the actual physical changes that are taking place in our body, how we feel about our body. Number one, that you know the ageing process in general and how we feel about it, and then the changes, the very real changes that happen as a consequence of our oestrogen levels falling. And one of the things that I often see is that women know they, they know that these things are happening to them, but they, they don't know that it's a real thing. So they begin to wonder that they're broken, that there's something fundamentally wrong with them, that maybe this can't be right. Maybe, you know, maybe the fact that I'm, I'm not getting wet, for example, when I become sexually aroused is maybe there's something wrong with me, maybe there's something, you know, wrong with my relationship when actually that's just an oestrogen problem. So there's definitely issues there around what is happening in our bodies. Yeah, and the third thing, I think, the third biggest issue is what is going on in our lives. Midlife women, you may you may or may not have children, teenagers, aging parents, stressful jobs. So the fact that at this particular point in our lives, often women have subjugated their wants and needs and all the rest of it for families, jobs, whatever else it might be. Um, for some women, me, this is, was my experience. I could start to see that some of that was going to go away, and I saw that as an opportunity. But for many women, they're not even in a place where they can see that as an opportunity, that they can see that their lives, things are coming ahead of them and they're stuck in stress, overwhelm, all of those kind of things. And, and, and you know, after the hormonal changes of the menopause, the hormonal changes related to stress are significant in terms of being able to be in touch with your sexual self.
0: Mm, yeah, I think there's a lot there that you've been saying. One of the things I'd like to pick up there is is what you were saying about women feeling that they were broken and there was something wrong. Yeah. I think perhaps one of the challenges that many women face is that we do have this inner dialogue, this constant inner dialogue, which is usually sort of criticising ourselves, blaming ourselves, assuming we haven't got it right. Imposter syndrome, of course, which is huge with women. There's always a constant voice going on there, assuming we're not quite good enough, not quite this, not quite that. And so it's quite easy to slip into that when things on a sexual front start to not quite work. Assume it's down
1: to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my personal experience. Uh, Very often, as you say, that women internalise that and go, there must be something wrong with me. What am I, you know, know, and the very first line on my website says, you are not broken. Yeah. Because many people come to me and feel that that is the circumstance. Now, that may or may, they may have felt that way sexually their whole lives. So that's the other thing about when we get to this point in our life, is that very often we need to go back digging to well, actually what was your relationship with your sexuality like as a a younger woman, as a teenager? What messages did you get Mm. as you were a child? Because how we've ended up now and that the experience that women are having now at this point in their lives when they come to see me in that kind of perimenopausal, menopausal phase isn't only because they're perimenopausal and menopausal, there's been a whole lead up to all of that. Um, And they may have spent their whole lives feeling broken, not good enough, that they, you know, that they weren't having the sexual expression that they wanted. Um, And that's a very common phenomenon that you've described that I see. Yeah, yeah. And I think coming into play with all of that, of course, is body confidence,
0: which really can be a huge issue in midlife. Well, Lots of women experience it throughout their life, but it's a particular issue, I think, because there are the changes in the body. You don't recognise yourself. So, I think that probably also speaks to what you were saying earlier about the notion that it's even possible to yeah. to get to a, a different place. So, what's your yeah. advice for women who just you know don't feel sexy anymore because they're worrying about themselves and their body?
1: Yeah so one of the things that i i do with clients a lot is we do a lot of mirror work so we stand in front of the mirror and just see and more important than just seeing is notice what arises for us in terms of you know if i say to him okay so let's have a think about your if you look at your body as a whole let's pick out something that you can feel comfortable with
0: are you naked when you're doing this
1: Yeah, well, often what I'll do is start women clothed often because it'll take us a bit of time to get there. So often we'll start in front of the mirror clothed or we might take off some clothing or they might stand in a vest and a pair of trousers or something. Mm. But we will eventually, if they feel comfortable, and usually they will after we've spent some time together and we've built trust and we're working on whatever they're working with, we will move to being naked in front of the mirror for them to actually take in but we have to start some we have to build a sense of bodily safety first yeah because for many women of course they don't necessarily feel safe in their bodies for whatever reason that that, you know previous trauma whatever else might have happened in the in the future in the past that informs how they feel now so yes we may we will eventually do it naked so we find somewhere in their body that they can find something comfortable in and for me, when I started all of this work, was you know doing my own personal work, what all I could say standing in front of the mirror was I had nice collarbones. That was as much as that at that point that was as much as I could hey, as much as I start. could experience and enjoy. But you have to start somewhere. Absolutely. and then you can start to move out from that space mm-hmm. to thinking, okay, what about this and what about that? And also what is really fascinating is often when women do take the time to stop and look it's nowhere near as bad as they think Yeah. in terms of, it's often the, the sense we have in our head rather than what they see in the mirror. And so that can be really important. And that can be really hugely important for women when we're talking about their genitals. So we also will use mirrors to, for them to look at their genitals because the number of women who've never looked at their vulva is yeah. phenomenally yeah. You know, high. So actually, particularly when they start to feel that if their body is letting them down, which is how a lot of women describe this, um, this experience is okay well let's get up close and personal what does it feel like what does it you know what do you think is down there um, I also work with women for example who might have just had a baby who have you know I had a woman who came and told me I think I have a monster in my pants thats and had not been able to look and that her our her girl was three years old had not been able to look so there's something really important and empowering when we're talking about bodies about actually coming back to look feel what do you feel inside? What is your you know what is your sense of your body and how do we help you move forward to to feel about your body in a slightly more positive way.
0: Yeah and I think being in tune with your body and, and just knowing it and understanding it because of course you know no two sets of genitals are the same anyway. There is no yeah. normal um yeah. it's just what what what
1: you are and how you are. Yeah, so- absolutely. And I think that's important, obviously, with the work that you do as well in terms of the kind of nutrition piece. We have to be, so what I'm often doing with, with people is to 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 increase what we call their interceptive awareness. So to increase their abilities to be aware of what's happening in their body at any particular moment. So, and that's particularly important around um, emotions and, and our feelings. Actually, what is happening in your body? Because your body is giving you messages all the time yeah. of things it needs and wants from you. But we're so very good at kind of cutting ourselves off at the neck and living from our head but there's a lot of intuitive wisdom in our body so women will come to work with me ostensibly because they're struggling to have sex but they'll leave having left the marriage that they're not happy in or getting a new job or something else you know it's it's not just about um, for me anyway the work is not about people just being able to have sex that they want to have once we've figured out what it is that they do want to have and that they're not coming for someone else's benefit which, is, which I also see quite a lot of but once we get yeah. past that It's actually who do you want to be in the world, your sexuality and being in touch with your sexuality and your body is an expression of how do you want to be out there in the world. And that's the that's the real juice for me Mm. um, is actually how people take that on then and live their life from that place.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's not a separate thing. Sexuality is not in its own box. It's part of who you are and your persona and and your own sort of happiness and well-being
1: yeah because if you're holding on it doesn't matter what you're holding on to in your life if you're holding on to old stories then those old stories are playing out in all sorts of aspects of your life they're not just playing out in your sexual expression they're playing out in whether you're feel confident enough to go for that promotion at work or whether you need to get rid of that toxic friend in your life or whether you need to stop drinking a bottle and a half of wine a night it doesn't really matter what yeah. it is it's actually all feeding into how you're showing up in the world
0: yeah Absolutely. Now, you were talking about the mirror and looking at the vulva earlier and knowing what's going on down there. So let's talk about vaginal dryness and discomfort, because, of course, that's a big factor. And inevitably, if things are painful, you're not going to want any sex. You're not going to want penetrative sex anyway. So
1: what can we do about that? Let's talk practicalities. Yeah. So I think this is one of the one of the big things that I talk about because it's so hidden. So women will live with this for a really long time. And leaving aside just I don't lubricate when I when I become aroused, that's one thing. But the other end of the spectrum of that is I have daily pain. I can't sit down. I'm bleeding. You yep. know, so there's a there's a whole other end of the spectrum of this. It's not just about whether, you know, you can you can squeeze a penis in a vagina. Um and and it's very common. It's extremely common. Um, in terms of women experiencing the menopause, so at least over 50% of women will experience some kind of change in their vaginal secretion stroke lubrication um, with the menopause. And so for many women, they might not realise it until they look back, but often it will be one of the first signs because the tissues in our pants, so our vulva, our vagina, and in addition, our, our urinary mechanism, so our urethra where we pee out of, our bladder, all of that is all extremely sensitive to oestrogen. Yeah. And so when the oestrogen levels start to fall as we start to go or fluctuate during the perimenopause and then fall as we approach menopause and, and beyond... All of those tissues begin to undergo a, word that, a, a process that's called atrophy. It's a horrible word because it essentially means dying away. And that's what happens. The tissues that are reliant, so that can include all of the tissues of the vulva, the vagina itself, um, the, the urethra and where we pee out of, will all begin to deteriorate or age. Yeah. And that then leaves and that has consequences so that we can lose. tissue. So women will come to me and will say, my labia just appeared to be disappearing or my clitoris is disappearing. It is actually happening. And that's the first thing to say, because people think that imagining it, this can't possibly be happening. I'm going, no, it is actually happening. Yeah. This is real. You're not imagining this. You're not making it up. It is real and also loss of sensation loss of lubrication so all of those things are possible and the, one of the things that that often women may not appreciate can be issues to do with incontinence so the classic one is what's called latch key incontinence so you get to the door you put your key in the door and all of a sudden you can't possibly hold it anymore yeah that's a very common one any form of incontinence but that's one that often people will describe to me that they've noticed um and All of those things are caused by a lack of oestrogen. Yeah, yeah. So what can we do? Yeah, so there are plenty of things to be done. So because it is an oestrogen depletion problem, we can replace the oestrogen that those tissues require to be functional. Now, some women may choose to use that via having full HRT. So that might be patches or gels or tablets that will replace the oestrogen in all of their body. However... Even for women who choose to have full HRT, about a quarter of those women will still have local problems that full HRT will not help them with.
0: The number of estrogen receptors around the vagina, it's enormous. And it's like a garden that needs more watering than anything else. Yes,
1: absolutely. So if women choose to have full HRT, there may still be a proportion of them for whom that will not be enough. Mm. And there will be plenty of women who also choose not to have HRT, And there are other options. So you can use estrogen locally in the vagina. So that can be in the form of pessaries, so vaginal tablets that you put into the vagina and vaginal creams. And they are extremely effective, extremely effective. Yes, you have to continue them. So it's not something that you will have a course of. It will be fixed. And you stop them. Because if you stop them, the same process will simply happen again yeah. as the levels of oestrogen begin to fall. So it is something that once you start it, you should remain on it. Local vaginal oestrogen is extremely effective and it is it tend- tends not to be absorbed into the rest of us. So even women who may have been told that they can't have HRT, can use vaginal estrogens.
0: Yes, I think it's important to flag that up because it's not systemic and therefore the risks yeah. associated with other forms of HRT simply are very, very smaller, much, much smaller. Yeah. And it's estimated if
1: you were to use vaginal oestrogen for one full year, it is estimated that the amount that's actually absorbed into your body is similar to taking one single HRT tablet. So a year's worth of treatment probably results in the body in the same subsemic absorption of one HRT tablet. Yeah. So there, is no, there, are, there are really very, very few women who would not be able to use vaginal estrogen if they chose to do so.
0: Mm. And of course, there are also lots of non-hormonal um, moisturizers yes. and so on out there.
1: Absolutely. So moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. What I say to women is you need to be moisturizing your fanny in the same way that you moisturize your face it is a an area of your body that is moisture rich so and there are lots of ways you can do that there are there are vaginal moisturizers that are particularly um created for use in the vagina but equally you can use coconut oil you can use any edible oil that you wish and part of the reason that i think vaginal moisturizing is actually very helpful is that i suggest to people that they they engage in a mindful massage practice so they're also engaging with their genitals so it's not about kind of rubbing stuff on and kind of pretending it's not there (laughs) actually what would it be like to spend five minutes loving your genitals and offering loving touch now that you know masturbation is a whole other taboo for women of a certain age I'm not talking necessarily about massaging that for for sexual pleasure but actually to simply take care of and look after your genitals in a way that feels loving can be really, really helpful for people.
0: Yeah, I think that's very interesting, because again, it speaks to the whole notion of how familiar are you with them? Are you used to touching yourself? You you rub in your oil of ole with great love and care because you want your face looking great, but Mm -hmm. you don't think about the other parts of your body that would benefit so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so, so, for me, it's part of a daily practice. So it's part of a daily practice of meeting myself every day, mm. you know, of of meeting myself. Where am I today? How am I today? You know, offering some loving touch um, and just being aware of what's going on in your body. Yep. Yeah. And I think the other interesting
0: thing about what you're saying there is that it's just exploring that notion of, of pleasure again, which goes beyond the automatic assumption that sex is about penetrative sex.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and if 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 the one thing that I could achieve with the clients that come to me or the people that come on my courses and things is is to to disentangle this idea of sex equals penetration, you know, meet any meet any lesbian couple, they will tell you that they're you know they, they are far lesbians are far more likely to have orgasms than heterosexual women, for example. You do not need a penis in the room to have a thrilling. Um, meaningful you know whatever it is that you're trying to achieve Mm. in sex life and so but what I see is most women come to me if they're coming because they're really struggling say I I need to be able to have sex for my partner and that so we have to go whoa 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 let's just untangle a lot of that is really is that the level that you are that is that is the bar for which you are achieving that you can at least have sex that isn't painful Let's let's maybe set our sights a little bit higher in terms of what is possible for you. So in terms of that, in terms of how you can sort of
0: rediscover intimacy in your relationship, what would you recommend? I mean, what are the what are the processes and the steps that people can think about?
1: Yeah. So if you want to rekindle intimacy in a relationship, you first have to rekindle intimacy with yourself. So this idea of developing a self-pleasure practice. So one of the things that I teach people to do is is mindful self-pleasure, mindful masturbation, depends what word people feel comfortable with. But actually what does it feel like to spend time with your body? What, is it, you know, what parts of your body actually do you find pleasurable? What types and styles of touch do you find pleasurable? And often that's what people will work with me on because they have no idea. So often that's what we will work on first is, okay, well, what, what about this kind of touch and different t- styles of touch and ways of touching yourself? What feels good to you? Because often people don't know. Hmm. So if we want to start to think about, if we want to bring our best selves to a to kind of partnered intimacy we need to know what works for us first because often what we're doing is we're expecting someone else to give us pleasure Mm -hmm. and what I'm saying to people is what would it be like to flip that round and take responsibility for your own pleasure such that you could share it with someone else and try to think about things in a slightly different way so what you know I, I get people to explore their bodies you know and we start with hands you know we just start with with, you know, actually what's it like to to draw the fingers of one palm over the other? What does that feel like? What do you notice? Um, To start to get people to to begin to be able to focus on sensation. So being, because often one of the other things is that we're so busy worrying about, is this going to be sore? Is it, we're not paying attention to to the actual sensations that we're feeling. Mm. So that's the first place if we're wanting to rekindle intimacy is start to think about rekindling intimacy with yourself. What do you like and what do you want? often when I ask women what they want, they don't know what they want. So how do we expect someone else to give us something when we don't even know what it is that we want ourselves?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if uh, a partner says, you know, what turned you on and, and you don't know, well, that. Yeah. why
1: should they be expected to work it yeah. out? Yeah, absolutely. And they will want to work it out. I think that's the thing is, you know, most partners, um, you know, Most nice people, if you like, will want to do whatever, you know, something that is pleasing for their partner and not simply taking their own pleasure, although taking of itself can be very pleasurable. Um, if someone else is, is you know if you're in a dynamic of being taking is important and that's one thing often that women are extremely hesitant to understand is that taking pleasure from another so that might be touching someone else in a way that you want to touch them rather than they're asking you to touch is an important part of what we call um the work that I do which is called the wheel of consent which is based on work by Betty Martin which is what we're trying to be able to do is inhabit lots of different ways of experiencing pleasure. That might be giving, it might be receiving, it might be taking, or it might be allowing someone else to take something from us. So there are different ways. We're looking for a balance of those things to give us a well-rounded experience of pleasure. And um, yeah, being able to articulate what it is that you like is really important. And then if we're coming to thinking about what you do with partners, the first thing is to slow it all down. Mm. that is in terms of when i work with when i work with with partnered relationships and people come to see me as a couple is to slow it all down because in general terms not always but in general terms um because of the cultural messages we receive about sex often sex will go at the pace of the male partner because they are much they, they it takes much less time physiologically for males to become aroused mm. it takes much longer it ta- it can take anything up to about forty minutes of um, stimulation for a female anatomy to be fully aroused so we slow it all down and slowing it all down also lets us feel into does that feel good in this moment would I like something else so slowing it all down and then noticing. So what do I notice and am I enjoying that in this moment and what would make that even better and can I ask for it? So there's a process really of moving towards owning what you want, slowing it all down so that you can feel it and then asking in the moment. Actually, I would quite like this, for example. Interesting. So when people come to work with you,
0: I imagine this is how long as a piece of string but I'm going to ask the question anyway yeah. how soon can can the work you're doing make a difference
1: well it, dep- it it does very much depend sometimes instantly because sometimes like anything the catharsis of coming and telling me their story is enough to start to get things to move a little bit for them. Right. Because it is difficult for people. You know, it is such a... And often people will have been holding some of this stuff for years. So sometimes immediately, because they can come and tell their story and they will be met with absolutely no judgment and absolutely no sense of trying to fix them. It's about where are you right now? And so often really quickly, because the minute that they know that there's possibility, everything changes. Yeah. So that even just being alive to the fact that it's possible. So it can, for some people, and it, but it depends what people are coming with. If people are coming with quite significant trauma stories or something else, that can take a little bit longer because really what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a sense of safety in their own body. So people who've been subject to some kind of sexual trauma, childhood neglect, those kind of things, their body is holding the score. So there's a book called The Body Keeps the, Sc- the Score by um, Van der Kolk, which is really about that, which is the fact that our bodies have a felt sense memory of things that have happened to us that plays out in our life as we go forward. So for those kind of people, we're talking about trying to build a sense of safety in their body. And that can take a bit longer, just depending on um, what they've experienced.
0: Tell me this, Claire, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your programmes, your therapeutic support and check in with you generally?
1: I have a Facebook group called The Pleasure Possibility, which is really for Female identified people to come together to talk about their stories and a safe place to come and say, This is happening for me. What you know, I need something because it's actually quite difficult for people sometimes to play for places to go. So, the Facebook group is is open, I'm there, I offer advice to people um, on there, and also if people want to work with me one to one, they can get me via my website, Pleasure Possibility. And I see people online and in fa- face to face in my in my consulting rooms. Excellent! And you're soon to launch a program, a series of programs, I think. Yes, I'm really excited. I'm really excited because, m- for my own experience, there is something really quite magical when you bring groups of women together to share an experience. And so it will be a it will be a good program. Relatively small numbers, so that I can make sure that everybody gets individual attention. But it will be a group program working through. Um, Where do you want to be? Who is it that you want to be? What sexual expression do you want? And we'll go back and we'll unpick and unpeel some of these layers of the messages that you were given and all of those kind of things. Um, In a very fun and lighthearted way, you know, a lot of the work that I do is about how do we bring levity? How do we bring pleasure to what we're doing? Yes, some of it can be extremely emotional and there'll be lots of... uh, 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 awakenings and awarenesses and some of that can be very emotional but actually how do we bring some lighthearted fun to it as well
0: that sounds great and I think there's something very powerful about a a group of women coming together because you you see that even when just female friends meet for drinks for example it's a hugely sort of supportive environment I think it's very sharing people are very generous about letting everyone have their turn and there's always a lot of laughter in my experience
1: so I think all of those things just make it a much safer space Yeah. And it is all about safe space. At the end of the day, you know, as I say to people all along, you don't come to me to be fixed. I don't fix people. I simply hold the space in which you figure out your own fixing. And that's the same when you when you do it in groups. The magic happens in the group, not because I've got any, you know, magical powers or, you know, or, or I'm supremely got it all sorted out in my own life because I don't. But it is something about holding the, holding the safe space for people to come and figure it out for themselves.
0: Yeah, that sounds fabulous. Well, I will put links to all of those things in the show notes so people can find you easily and know how mm-hmm. to look out for your programs when they launch as well. So I'm really sad we're coming to the end of this because we could talk all day about this stuff. It's fascinating. But what I'd like you to share with us before we wrap up is from all the things you've learned through your years of clinical work, your therapeutic work, what would your top two tips be for women who who want to have a fulfilling sex life through the menopause and beyond? Okay,
1: The first one is believe that it is possible. The minute your mindset moves to, I'm going to have this, I want this, something happens or something about the intentionality of it. So first of all, believe that it's possible. And it's possible at any age. At any age, absolutely. Yeah, at any age. it does, And it doesn't really matter what it's about, whether it's about this or about something else. Mm. If you believe that it's possible for you, then it becomes possible. Brilliant. Before that, it is impossible and you can't move from there. Yeah. So even if you believe that it's possible, even if you have to kid yourself on to believe that it's possible to start with, We have to have a sense that there is something that we can move towards. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is trust your body. Get to know your body. What you're experiencing in your body is actually happening. It doesn't mean it has to stay that way, but don't think that you're making it up. Trust that your body is actually telling you things that then gives you the option to choose about whether you want to do something about it. Your body has an amazing innate wisdom of its own if you're prepared to listen. Great. That's fantastic advice.
0: Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jackie. What a star. I really love the idea of allowing yourself to think that something is possible because we can apply that to so many areas of our lives. And it's a really positive message. If you'd like to find out more about Claire and her coaching programmes, I've put all the information and relevant links on the podcast page of my website well-well-well.co.uk if you've enjoyed this episode please do tell your friends and family and leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on because it really helps to spread the word so that new listeners can find the show because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause thanks so much for listening bye for now